Now today I want to speak from the verse which, if I were to say has governed me over 60 years, that would be saying too much. I can say I have wanted it to govern me. But my life verse is John chapter 5, verse 44. And these are the words of Jesus. The words are a question. A question put to the Jews and especially the Pharisees. And here's the question. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, His most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I now come to you and ask for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, received, and applied as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. I pray that this will be a life-changing word, and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The question I put to you, which means more to you? The praise of men, the praise of women, the praise of people, or the praise that comes from God? Now, these are words that Jesus put to the Pharisees. And the reason he put these words is that he knew they did not believe in him. He knew that. But then he says to them, but how can you believe? How can you? You're not able. You're not able to believe. Because you make no attempt to receive the honor that comes from God alone. You only want the praise of people. And so it's a question that needs to be asked to all of us today. Here it is. How important is God's opinion of you? How important is God's approval to you? In other words, do you want the praise and approval of people more than you want the praise of God. Now, why is this verse important? Well, for one thing, it shows the reason the Jews missed their Messiah and what should have occupied them had they been true followers of God. They were the chosen people. They were born Jews. And to them, that said it all. That's all that mattered to them. They did not believe that they had to be responsible themselves to believe in the only true God. Had they been where they should have been spiritually, they would not have missed their Messiah, but they missed him completely. People ask all the time, how could they have missed him? For when we read the Bible, particularly Isaiah 
53. And it's so obvious that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. How could they have missed him? The answer is, they missed him because they were not focusing upon what pleases God. But they could only think of consensus, what people think, and therefore they missed him. There's another reason that this is important. It shows how people can miss the current move of the Holy Spirit today. Now, there are those who are praying for revival, praying all the time for revival, but they are so sure they would know revival. This past week, I preached in Wales. And when I'm in Wales, I get a feeling. Now, some will say, you know, if revival ever comes, we will know it. Because they know how it was in 1904. Uh, and there are those who are so sure that they would be the first to recognize. Look, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they didn't think they knew that if Messiah comes, they would see him. I remember when I was uh, pastor at Westminster Chapel, and we did a few things that were seen as controversial. We had Arthur Blessed to preach for us. And uh, a friend of mine, pastor across London, uh, wrote me a letter slapping me on the wrist. He said, R.T., if revival comes to London, I'd know it. Well, there are people like that. That's the way the Pharisees were. I wonder if you've ever heard this story. A British couple, missionaries in India, heard that revival had broken out in Wales in 1904. And they said, we may never see revival again. Let's go to Britain and go to Wales. So they did. They landed at Southampton, came up to London, ran into some Christian friends who said, what are you doing here? Thought you were in India. Oh, we're just here for a few days. We want to see the revival that is broken out in Wales. These Christian friends said, don't bother. It's Welsh emotionalism, nothing more. And the couple said, oh, all right, we didn't know. They get on the ship and go back to India. They don't even bother to go to Wales where revival had broken out. It shows how backslidden Christians could give advice and people would miss something. Be careful what you get from somebody that you think is so spiritual, you could be misled. All right, here's another thing. This verse is important because it shows the reason that we forfeit hearing from God and we can forfeit receiving the knowledge of His will. Would you like to hear from God? Would you like to know the knowledge of His will? Would you like to have the kind of relationship that if God wants to reveal something and He's looking all over the universe, where can I find somebody I can speak to and they will listen to me? Would you like to be among those? Here's the way to know that you want the honor that comes from Him and you disdain the approval of people. It doesn't mean you're not affected by it, but that's not what you want. That's not what you're going to go by. You want to know what he thinks. Here's another reason. This is an important word. It shows the basis 
on which one will receive a reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Now here's the teaching of the New Testament. All those who have been saved will go to heaven. Once saved, always saved. But not all receive a reward at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. Some will be saved by fire. They will lose a reward. Some will receive a reward. And it's the most wonderful thing that can happen to a Christian. If you want to know on what basis the reward will be given at the judgment seat of Christ, I'm telling you, this is it. It shows the basis whether in this world you live for the praise of people or you wanted the honor that comes from God alone. And there's another reason this is an important word. It shows that there is a difference between seeking after his praise and achieving it. We may or may not consciously achieve it, but we can surely seek after it. And the Pharisees, if you read the way it's translated in the New International Version, they made no attempt to receive the honor that came from God. Well, now, why can we learn from this verse? I can tell you this is a a verse, as I said, that I've sought to be governed by for, for 60 years. And funnily enough, I've never really preached on it. Only two weeks ago, to my utter surprise, I woke up on a Thursday morning two weeks ago, and I had this verse on my mind. I began to get thoughts, and I quickly started in. And in two hours, I had a message that I believe I'm supposed to bring to you today. Here's what this verse shows. The importance of faith the importance of faith. Jesus said, how can you believe? Some years ago, Rabbi David Rosen, he's the most decorated Jewish rabbi in Israel. He recently was given a knighthood by the queen. And, we and I, he and I have become friends. And we wrote a book together. And he's the one that gave it the title, The Christian and the Pharisee. I'm the Christian, he's the Pharisee. I said, David, are you sure you want to call yourself a Pharisee? He said, oh yeah, the New Testament doesn't give us a good press, so he's wanting to show what a Pharisee is like. But in our letters back and forth to each other, he made a statement one day. He said, there is no concept of faith in Judaism. I said, what? I fired the next letter back, and pointed out some things to him in the Old Testament. For example, Genesis 15, verse 6. God said to Abraham, Go outside your tent, count the stars, so will your seed be. Abraham, aged 85. Sarah, aged 75. No children. Humanly speaking, no way could they have a child. But God said, so will your seed be. Abraham might have said, you don't expect me to believe that, do you? You think I'm crazy? But you know what? Abraham believed it. And it was counted for righteousness. 
And that became the Apostle Paul's Exhibit A for the teaching of justification by faith. And not only that, I said to David Rosen in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2 and 3, Habakkuk had a question. And I bet it's a question you've asked. It's the question we all ask. Why does God allow evil and suffering? We've all asked that question. In fact, if you were to interview anybody today, whether he's educated or high IQ, a secular atheist, a scientist, do you know why they say they won't believe in God? Because of the evil in the world, the suffering, that if there were a God, he would not allow it. That's the first answer. And they never go past that. Well, Habakkuk asked that question. And he said, Lord, I don't understand. You seem to, to go right against your own covenant people. You allow evil. Why? God said, so Habakkuk, you want to know why I allow evil and suffering? Oh, yes. All right. I want you to go to a spot and stay there. And I'm going to show up. And so... Habakkuk says, I will. Habakkuk chapter 2. He said, I will stand at my watch, station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what God will say to me, what answer he will give. And then the Lord showed up and said, here it is. Write down the revelation. That means the unveiling, the reason I allow evil. He says, write it down. Make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. The revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. So you ask, what do you mean by end? He means end, the end, the very last day. You want to know the answer? God says to Habakkuk, it speaks of the end. Because on the last day, when Jesus comes, I will clear my name. I will reveal to the whole world why I allowed evil. Then is when I'm going to do it. Well, Habakkuk might have said, that's not good enough. I want to know now. Sorry, Habakkuk. It speaks of the end. Well, when you say that to most people, they would say, well, if he's not going to tell me now, I don't want to have any part of him. I'm out of here. But for some reason, for some reason, Habakkuk said, I'm going to accept that. And something happened to him. And it was so deep that he said right at the end of this book, this prophetic book, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. And you've got to remember that it was an agrarian society. They didn't have food in their freezers. They lived for sun, for rain, and they lived day by day. And Habakkuk said, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, and though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, and there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Habakkuk decided to wait to the end. 
And you see, that's the way it's always been. This is why God then said, the just shall live by his faithfulness. The Hebrew reads, the just, the righteous will live by the faithfulness of God. We're just trusting his word. You see, there's two kinds of faith. The secular view, the biblical view. The secular atheist view. I will believe it when I see it. And I want to know now. Give me the answer why God allows evil. The biblical view. Habakkuk's view. Wait to the end and God will show you. And one day, dear friends, God will clear his name. And when he unveils the reason he allowed suffering, all mouths will be stopped. Or maybe I should say their mouths or jaws will drop with their mouths wide open, will say, I hadn't thought of that. But you see, God won't let you think of that. That's because he has decreed that people believe him by faith. And faith is just believing his word. Habakkuk chose the way of faith. This is where we are today. And so when Habakkuk agreed, though the fig tree does not bud, I will still rejoice. He was elevated to the same category of Abraham. Decided to go by the promise, just believe it. And so I put that to Rabbi Rosen, and he wrote right back and said, Oh, you're right. And I was wrong on that. Here's the reason that he could be so wrong. It's where Jews are today. It's where Jews were 2,000 years ago. You see, they did not realize that God wants to be believed. He wants his word to be believed. But for the Jews, especially the Pharisees, they didn't have faith, only works. Works that would make themselves look good. Jesus described it like this in Matthew 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't be like the Pharisees. When they give to the needy, they want to make sure everybody knows about it. They hire the Jerusalem Symphony Orchestra to play. We're getting ready to give to the poor, but we're not going to give unless there's a big band orchestra playing. If someone says, well, sorry, we can't find a band today, well, they say, well, then we won't give. They would only give if it were seen. Matthew 23, verse 5, all they do, said Jesus, speaking of the Pharisees, is for people to notice it. That's what turned them on. And you see, in a word, they could not conceive of doing anything good unless people saw it. The Pharisees were motivated by the approval and praise of one another. The notion that God may want to show his approval never entered their minds. It wasn't even on their radar screen to want the praise of God. So Jesus just asked the question. You know, this is a question that cannot be answered. Have you ever thought about some of the questions in the Bible? There's no answer. Mark 8, 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? How do you answer that? Or that verse in 2 Peter if judgment begins at the house of God and the righteous are scarcely saved, what will happen to the sinner and the ungodly? 
What will happen? How do you answer that? And so this question, how can you believe who receive honor one of another? You see, the second thing that we learn from this verse, that God is observing the thoughts and ways of man, of woman, day and night. He listens to our conversations. Malachi 3, verse 16. Remember that. When you're talking to anybody, God's listening. You get together, just two or three of you. When I talk to Bruce, when I talk to, to Louise, when I talk to Colin, God is eavesdropping. When you and I talk and meet, God's eavesdropping. You see, He's nosy. He wants to know what we're saying. But here's the thing. He listens to our conversations, and one day, one day he will reveal that he heard everything. Have you ever heard this old spiritual that came out of the cotton fields of Alabama back in the 19th century? He sees all you do. He hears all you say. My Lord is writing all the time. So do you realize God is watching you, listening to you, writing it all down? He examines our ways, Jeremiah 17, 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Proverbs 21, verse 2. A man's ways may seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. Third thing in this verse. God has an opinion of our thoughts and motives. I wonder if you've ever thought about this, that God has an opinion on everything. He does. He's got an opinion. Should you take this job? Should you spend time here today? Should you get married? He had an opinion on whether England should remain or come out. He's got an opinion what America should do with Donald Trump. He's got an opinion on everything. You see, the question is, do we want his opinion? Our problem is, we don't want his opinion. We're so afraid that it would go against with our plans. I've written a book called In Pursuit of His Wisdom. And I define wisdom as getting God's opinion. If you get His opinion, you're set. You may be alone, but you've got the right thing. True wisdom is seeking God's opinion. If you get that, you will be wise. And you know, the ancient Greeks thought that only the gods could have Sophia wisdom. Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, they're the ones and no one else could have this wisdom. But listen to these words from Proverbs chapter 4. I can tell you, this is something you should read when you get home. Proverbs 4, starting at verse 5. I'll read it to you. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, 
and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get it. Get understanding. Esteem her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of, crown of splendor. The glory of God, by the way, is his opinion. The word glory from the Greek word doxa comes from a root word that means opinion. And so to want his glory is to value his opinion more than silver or gold, more precious than rubies. And so don't try to change God's opinion. Just get his opinion. I'm amazed at the people now who want to define faith or say that prayer, if you can believe it, there are those who actually teach and I'm not making this up, that prayer is changing God's opinion. This is nonsense. This is silly. It's, right. it, it's a denial that God's got an opinion of his own. We want to change it. We want to make him conform to what we want. No! Wisdom is to find out what it is, get it, and live by that, though it costs you all you have. Well, Here's another thing this verse teaches. This is so wonderful. God wants to show his own approval of our ways, our thoughts, our motives. One of the greatest things on offer from the throne of grace is that God will unveil his opinion to us if we want it. God will show whether or not he approves of us if we seek for it. See, the problem with the Pharisees, they did not seek it. As the NIV put it, they made no effort to find out what it was. Well, number five. Out of this text comes this conclusion. The greatest joy in the world is the knowledge that God approves of us. It's called His praise. His glory, His honor, all from the same Greek word, doxa, translated all these ways. There's no greater treasure, no greater knowledge, no greater joy than this. The praise that comes from the one and true only God. Praise that comes from Him alone and not from people. Well, sadly, the Jews forfeited that knowledge. They did not pursue it. And the consequence was they were not able to see that Jesus is the Messiah. And if we too are like the Pharisees, we will not be able to get his approval to know what God is up to. Jonathan Edwards, greatest theologian America ever produced, taught us that the task of every generation is to discover in which direction the sovereign Redeemer is moving. Then move in that direction. Number six, if we opt for the praise of people rather than the praise of God, we cut off the opportunity of receiving his praise. Our choice in the matter either opens or shuts the door 
of receiving his opinion. You make a choice. Now, maybe you've already seen this, but what is at the bottom of all that I'm teaching is what the Bible says about the true God. And you may not like this. The God of the Bible is a jealous God. He calls himself, he says, my name is Jealous. Does that offend you? I can tell you who it offended many years ago. She's written about it. Oprah Winfrey. We all admire Oprah, one of the legends of our day. What you may not know is Oprah was brought up in a Baptist church that believed in the Bible in Mississippi. And she heard her pastor say one day that God is a jealous God and he wants to rule your life. And Oprah said, I don't want a God like that. I don't want to be controlled. And she turned her back on her heritage. And it's never been the same again. Famous, rich. But it ain't over till it's over. As R.G. Lee, the great Baptist preacher, put it many years ago, payday, someday. Payday, someday. I wouldn't want to be in the shoes of anybody that would not affirm the God of the Bible. Therefore, you must make a choice. Whose opinion matters to you? Whose praise? Seventh, this text asks a question. How do we get his approval? How do we seek it? Are there steps we can take? Yes. Do you want his opinion? Would you like to know what it is? Are there steps you can take? Number one, tell him you want his opinion. Tell him. Oh, R.T., he already knows. Tell him. Don't be sophisticated. Be like a child. As if you are adding to his knowledge. As if you are informing him. Just say Tell me, Lord, what is your opinion? Second, ask for it. Ask him to show. Ask him to show you his opinion. In the process, learn, and this is the hard part. I'm preaching to myself now. Learn to disdain, to eschew the approval of people lest you forfeit God's approval. Now, we all like compliments. We do. But sometimes they terrify me. And I'll tell you why. That I might start listening and taking them seriously. You see, you cannot have it both ways. Either seeking his approval or wanting the approval of people. Now, God may give you people's approval that if you weren't seeking it, and maybe he can do that, and it's all right if you weren't looking for that. The problem with some of us is we go up to somebody and we say, take a preacher. He's just finished a great sermon. He's not sure whether it was any good. Or let me put it to you like this. Can you imagine Jesus? He's just finished the Sermon on the Mount. Greatest sermon ever preached. Can you imagine Jesus, after it's over, going up to Peter? Peter, come here. Come here, come here, come here. 
this is just between you and me. I'm not going to ask the 12, but Peter, how did I do today? What did you think of that sermon? Oh, Peter would say, great. Are you sure? Oh, yeah. Uh, that part where I said, uh, blessed are the meek. Was that good? Oh, yeah, yeah. You sure? Okay. Oh, you remember I said with Jesus, he says, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. You think that went down all right? <laughs> I'm sure it did, Lord. Now, you can't imagine Jesus doing that, but you can imagine me doing it. And the moment I do it, the angels blush, and I will never know what God thought, because that, I want your approval more. I remember preaching for, they used to call them the Easter people in Bournemouth. And I preached a sermon there. It was one of my best sermons. And when it was over, I uh, noticed no one said a word. And I thought, I need to get going, but I've got a two-hour drive back to London. So I hung around for five or ten more minutes. <laughs> no one said a word. And I thought, i got to go. And I got in the car, turned on the ignition, and all the way back. You know, I wonder how I did. And then it was as though the Lord spoke. As if to say, R.T., I have an opinion. Does my opinion matter? And I thought, yes. I was so convicted. He didn't tell me what his opinion was. But I never will forget how I felt. I've sought, but not always successfully, to get his opinion. Because when there's competition with what he would say, and people giving you this, that, you wonder, how much are you hearing from God? And so, the question is, as I close, how is his approval manifested? How do you know if you get it? And I think the answer is two ways. The first, he can show you his approval right now. And here's how it comes. By the immediate and direct witness of the Holy Spirit. He can convey to you. He can do it right now, his opinion. On one condition, that you keep quiet about it. You're not allowed to tell. So if God says, says to you, I'm pleased with you. Uh, don't put it on a big badge and wear it around. Say, God approves of me. He just told me. No. I used to say to them at Westminster Chapel, how many of you could have tea with Her Majesty the Queen and not tell anybody? <laughs> and would you value the opinion of God? Have you ever thought about that verse, Psalm 25, verse 14? King James Version says, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. It's a secret. Or the new versions translated, God confides in those who fear Him. What does it mean to confide? It means you're not going to tell it. You're not going to tell anybody. And if God were to confide in you and give you a sense that you please Him, it's on the condition 
that you keep quiet about it. Were that to come, doesn't get better than that. And yet it does get better than that. Because at the judgment seat of Christ, it'll all be out in the open. This time it won't be a secret. It will be out in the open. Every secret will be revealed. Every thought. Because on that day, I will find out whether you are pure gold or you're a phony. You will find out on that day whether I'm gold or I'm a phony. Because then, then, God will give his verdict openly. The happiest words you can hear. If you get them, I want it more than anything. It's for Jesus to look at me. It'll just last for a second, but that will last for eternity. If he just looks at me and says, good, well done. That's worth waiting for. And if we will live in the light of that day, Here's what happens. The anointing. God may trust you with a greater anointing, but it will be in proportion to whether you seek the honor of man or the honor of God. My sermon is finished, but I think I need to ask a question. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven, do you? And if you were to stand before God, you will. And he were to ask you, he might. Why should I let you into my heaven? And there's only one answer and you have to give it right on the spot and there's nobody coaching you. You have to tell him why you think he should let you in. And I'm going to ask you now, in these moments, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? If God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What comes to your mind to say to him? If it does not come into your heart to say, because Jesus died for me on the cross, because of his blood, if it doesn't come into your mind to say that, with respect, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. But that can change right now. That can all be sorted out. I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. You don't need to pray it out loud. Pray it in your heart. God will see you. Just pray this if you can mean it. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life.